0: Good afternoon and welcome to an FS Club webinar uh, coming from the Southeast of England. Uh, I'm Michael Minelli here in London and our guest today, Terry Downing, uh, based as he claims in darkest, Cambridgeshire. Uh, And we're here today to talk about a journey to operational resilience uh, with a particular emphasis, of course, on Tony's uh, really leading role. And he's done a lot of leading work in the field as resilience manager and head of operational resilience at Legal in General. And we'll get into that in just a moment. And you'll know me, I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Yen, and I really am delighted to be able to introduce so many of these FS Club webinars where we range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. And today is uh, definitely about uh, finance and technology, maybe a little bit less than usual on the economics, but we can only do so because our sponsors, as you can see listed here, allow us to range widely and freely uh, across the field. Uh, but today is uh, pretty much core territory for us And i might add on to that a teensy bit of regulation lies ahead in today's presentations now the agenda for those of you who uh, are are regulars is is fairly well known Uh, many of our webinars give our presenter about 20 minutes to get their argument there and then we're looking forward to 20 hard minutes from you uh grilling him uh on the things that interest you uh, and his reaction to them Uh, I might make three quick points before we jump into the heart of the matter. Uh, Yes, uh, this is uh, being recorded uh, and it will be available in approximately two working days. Uh, So sometime over the weekend when you have nothing to do, you can uh, have a good look at this or share with friends and colleagues. Uh, Secondly, the slides are available. In fact, they're already posted and up on the website. Uh, Terry is uh, ever so good. But very finally, how do I participate in the Q&A? And that's you use the GoToWebinar Q&A facility Uh, which is here. I'm here with you and with Terry, not on Signal or Teams or uh, email. Uh, Please ask your questions via the the Q&A facility. All of your questions, if we don't get enough time, will be going to Terry uh, with your email attached and he can answer them uh, if he pleases. If there's a point of connection you'd like to make or uh, congratulate him on a great presentation or ask a detailed question, they will all go to Terry uh, after we're finished. I thought I'd get that out of the way. Now, Terry uh, did in fact ask us if we would uh, have a poll uh, amongst the audience before we get going. Uh, and I'm just about to launch that poll now. And it's basically uh, just to get a flavor for things, you know, in financial services. Now that Brexit is passed, do you as a financial services professional expect to see more or less uh, regulation? Uh, Terry, the, uh, the audience here is uh, highly, uh, highly skilled uh, at least at the GoToWebinar Q&A facility, uh, over 50% of the audience have already uh, made up their minds. And I'm going to leave the voting open for just another 15 seconds so that we capture a few more there, up to the 75% mark. Uh, just uh, get your votes in quickly, folks. They are fairly fast off the buttons. Here we go. I'm now gonna close that and share the results, Terry. And it's interesting. So. Uh, the much-vaunted Brexit dividends are certainly not there. The audience is almost perfectly split around much the same. Uh, I can see that we're not exactly the most optimistic of people. Now, uh, Peter and Terry are gonna swap slides around and take take back control there. And uh, as soon as we've done that, uh, Terry, the floor is uh, very much going to be yours. So over to you.
1: Okay, and thank you, Michael. And thank you for this, this fantastic opportunity. Um, as Michael said, my name is Terry Downing and I'm the Resilience Manager and I'm the Head of Operational Resilience for Group Technology for League in General. And my um, presentation today is called A Journey to Operational Resilience. It's, it's about what I've been doing for the last few years uh, and uh, just like Michael, I like my badges on the bo- as I've shown on the bo- bottom of the screen. But the badges aren't there just to show that I'm current, it's actually to show that Operational resilience isn't just business continuity. It's not about um, ITIL. It's not just about um, cyber. It's about the whole holistic approach. And we're going to take this this journey. Um, And I just wanted to make sure that I I stated that these are my personal observations and views, and not necessarily those of my current um, management or previous management. So with much less than anything, let me see if the technology works. Like every other presentation, when we start talking about regulations, there's a timeline and I'm going to talk about the who, what, why, what we've got to do and why it's important. And back in 20, uh, uh, so 2007, we had the financial, the global financial crash crisis. And it was the worst one since the, um, the great depression of 20, uh, 1920s, uh, 29. And it took another 10 years after that before Basel came around and and, and produced their their finalising post-crisis reforms and where it was identified that citizens and um, markets had lost faith in banks. And then in 2020, Basel came up with their principles for operational resilience, which is about improving the operational resilience for for financial institutions. Our own PRA came up with the, um, the PRA rule book um, there was uh, policy statements and there was um uh, uh, supervisor statements made and it was all about impacts operational resilience and impacts of tolerances for important business services and everybody's going what is the important business service well we're going to go into that and what's coming along down the road is dora digital operational resilience act from the european union which is more focused on the technical side although the that the current uh, regulations also has a technical element. This is really on the digital side of, of operational resilience for financial institutions. Where these they came from? Where did they come from? Should I say? Well, every single financial authority has had a go at this. They've got a uh, contributed from the from the EBA, from from Basel EBA, uh, the international boards each. Uh, H- in countries, own organizations um, the PRA that we've got here the Prudential Regu- uh, Regulatory Authority and the Financial Conduct Authority and the guidelines came into came into force in back in 2019 but at the end of last month um, the regulations came into force and people going oh we've got to have it all up and running and that's not quite what the regulations state but these organizations have all got together and it doesn't matter where you operate if you want to operate in these markets even from your own market you actually have to comply with the regulations of the areas that you're dealing with so there's a little bit of a harmonization that needs to be done um, but i want to point out here that these have come from the, the financial authorities but what does it really say this is, i'm not going to read this out as a whole screen, but I wanted to show to you that from the EBC, and this is a high level extract that I took out of that, it talks about business continuity. Organisational resilience is basically business continuity on steroids. Instead instead of turning around and saying right, my, my systems are at this height, um, when I have an incident I'm going to recover my systems and there's going to be a block, right? operational resilience means that you continue to provide service maybe the service is at a predefined level but you don't drop the service and we talk about not not making uh, intolerable harm um, to citizens the whole of the regulations goes first of all to the citizens the markets the economies then the government because the government actually has to make sure it's, it's economy safe because otherwise, it doesn't get tax revenues, and it actually pays out more. So, financial regulations and robustness of the finances is that important. Uh, and then there's the firms themselves. But well, we are talking about value to the to the citizen. We're talking about an holistic approach to delivery, and we really are talking about, from this point of view, right? The boards. If, if you look at the regulations, it turns around and says it rests, the the ultimate responsibility rests with the organization's board of directors, right? It's about making sure that your staff are trained up, that you have plans, that you actually have done your critical path analysis and your critical resources analysis, the BIA. And it also turns around and says that you can't outsource to a third party, um, the, um, risk. You can outsource the requirements, but you still own the risk. Now, I turn around and say is operational resilience is not a compliance thing. It's not that at all. It's business risk management and it's about the intent and the outcomes. The moment you start talking about business risk management, it takes it away from a tick-in-the-box exercise and puts it more into the frame of what do we need to do? And we're all moving forward into this what we call this digital world. we got these new ways of working. Traditionally we had a very much of a product focus, it was transactional in the relationship, it was one and done. Once I'd created it and I had a process, as long as I kept the quality going it went on and I didn't, I, I didn't really know, but the businesses didn't really know their consumers. Right? And that was the, the an example of that I put on there is Microsoft Office. Microsoft Office sold off the shelf products, it was a software product, not as SaaS service as it is today, they didn't know who their customer was, they knew who was buying it, it, it from a, a bulk point of view but they didn't know. Their business was repeatable, it was a standard quality, they had a stovepipe or, or organisational approach like most industries where it basically it was these different departments were delivering it and their approach to delivery was waterfall. The problem with that traditional business model is, 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 is was that it's slow to turn, there's so many moving parts and so many different organizations. And the other thing about those days is pre internet, there was very little that we had to worry about a cyber attack. Now we're in the digital transformation age. And I have to say, it's not about the app, not about the app at all. We're more service focused. We want to know our individual customers and partners. It's not a one and done anymore. It's tailored. We need to know the customer. And again, using Microsoft as an example, Office 365, Microsoft knows all their customers, knows a lot about them now. Knows when you work, knows what, uh, how much data you use, what you go surfing. It's a repeatable model. It's standard, but it's also tailored. It's still quality. Now looking at the value stream rather than an off-the-shelf product, they can be agile because they can actually move a lot quicker. Uh, it's now an holistic way to deliver business. They can change their business model quite quickly. As we've seen with various areas that are in it. The problem is the other side of operational resilience and digital, sorry, the, 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 the other side of being digital transformation is on the other side of the coin is operational resilience because what you what you have is that you by going digital you increase your cyber attack services. So we actually have to be more aware of our operational environment involvement, we have to be aware of what's being delivered to us, we have to know who's delivering it, we have to know what, what their commitments to. And the other thing is is that whereas before it, it's always been the big eats the small, it's not that anymore, it's the quick eats the slow. Like digital brings that, so your operational resilience has to take this into account. Again we're not talking about bits and bytes, we're not talking about business continuity plans, we're talking about operational resilience. So what do you need to know? Well in operational resilience the first thing they say is you need to know identify your important business services and the question I will ask who's the important to? Now I have seen organizations that have gone oh this is my most important business system it's not about the business system it's about the service that's given to the consumer to the to the citizen at the end it's there what do you deliver what are you putting to the market that's your important business service it's maybe made made up of 15 to 20 different components within your organization but at the end of the day it's an holistic delivery of services to your customer looking at it from a customer point of view and a consumer point of view you then have to look at setting impact tolerances now an impact tolerance we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a later slide but it's not your RTOs and your RPOs uh, recovery time objectives recovery point objectives. This is about the impact tolerance of the consumer How, uh, before you do any harm and we'll talk about um, harm as I said in the later slide. The next thing you have to do are having identified your important business services and set your impact tolerances Right, you actually have to turn around and say, right, well, I need to map how I deliver that. What's all the components the critical path, the critical path analysis, or your value stream in ITIL terms? You actually have to turn around and say, to deliver that service, what do I need to deliver it? And you map that all out. And that might be people, it might be systems, it might be locations, it might be computers, it might be data, it might be an outside external force that you're using, it might be a company that. Used to do just in time, now it's just in case delivery of product, right? And you map that out and you see what the critical and then once you've got that all set, you set the impact tolerance to see whether or not you can make your master impact tolerance to your end customer and identify any vulnerabilities. And once you've mapped that out, you have to conduct lessons learned and testing it. You have to identify the prioritization, you actually have to make sure you invest in your ability to respond and recover. And again, this is where operational resilience becomes holistic because it doesn't matter whether it's a building, whether it's a transportation problem, whether it's a power problem, whether it's a cyber security problem, whether it's a public PR problem. It's all about actually conducting those risk assessments, those impact analyses, that um, exercising of what you're going to do. And then the other thing is, is that you must develop a communications plan. And that communications is between you and your customers you and your partners the regulators and then the final thing the operational resilience has you to do is is actually do self-assessment and that's an annual basics this is marking your own homework but there's going to be ways that they're going to actually look at you and turn around and say excuse me uh, we now want to do a bit of, a bit more detail so it's you've got a self-assessment but also external So, this IBS, when we set the impact tolerance, firms identify their important business services, map to the successful delivery. They then attest their ability to withstand a severe event. Now, um, the wording is a, a plausible but severe event or incident, right? So, the way I look at it, it isn't actually whether it's a thunderstorm or flood the way i look at it it's more about if you lost something don't care how you've lost it but what if you've lost that data center what if you've lost access to that building for five days not how it's done you use the scenarios of floods pandemics as a test an acid test for that but you don't actually plan for that you plan for the loss of and you don't plan from it from a technical point of view, you plan from it from a service to your customer point of view. Not So if your data center is down for five days, how are you going to make sure you don't miss your impact, breach uh, your impact tolerances? How do you make sure you can continue to deliver what you've promised to deliver to your, to your consumers? And that third part that is listed here, you've got to make sure that your test results actually identifying your gaps, you've got to make your investment choices but look at it as the point of view, I have lost that, not how I've lost it, acid test afterwards, I've had a train strike, my staff can't get in, how do I deal with that? There's been national power cuts, Um, my remote working no longer works, how do I deal with that? And then it might be a fuel shortage and a data shortage at the same time. The people at the uh, Operational Resilience um, Collaboration Group have written this based on the guidelines from the FCA. I'm not going to go into into great detail, you can read these on the slides later. But if you look at the the, the top one, intolerable harm is what we talk about. Now there's various things about litigation and stuff like that. But the most important thing is, is an impact causing significant distress to the end investor or consumer. Right. When you look at that, that's the others don't are important, but that's the one. And that's where you have to turn around and say, what do you look at? Well, you actually have to look at your vulnerable consumers. Right. It's no good looking at somebody who spends £50 um, on lunch and saying £50 doesn't uh, doesn't matter compared to a pensioner who £50 actually means the difference between whether or not they eat that week or put the lights on. So you actually have to look at it from your vulnerable customers and the FCA have actually put that information out and 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 there's a link on the slides for you to follow if you need to do that. Uh, There's more information here about by when well it it was it said it's the 31st of March 2022 and then you've got until 31st of March 2025 to do it. The, The the financial regulator didn't expect or doesn't expect everybody to actually have it down Tied all the way down, there's going to be a development phase. There's going to be changes. There's going to be investment in systems. But what they want you to do was define those those, those IBSs. They might be not right the first time round, but divide them, define them. Define your impact tolerances and try and map out. But it didn't have to be complete for 2022, but it does have to be complete for 2025. So take the time. Again, there's the publication at the bottom there. That you can look at. And the testing. Uh, I heard somebody turn around and say that you have to test every IBS for every scenario every year. Great if you're um, an organization that actually makes money out of doing the testing and facilitating that. Not so good if you're the financial institution or the supplier to that financial institution who actually has to work on those tests. But the regulations stated in, in, in the policy statement, um, it actually turned around and said, and I'll read it so our finals rules do not require testing to be undertaken at, at least every year as proposed. Instead, firms are required to scenario test when there's a material change, following improvements by the firm in response to a previous test and in any event on a regular basis. Now a regular basis when I was doing ISO 22301 the regular basis was once every three years not once a year right. So let's be practical about this let's focus on the IBSs let's focus on the consumer and let's actually make sure that when we do this we do it for the right reasons and we don't actually force ourselves into a situation that's impossible for us to manage. Again the frequency of testing slide is there for you right contingency planning what does it mean I turn around have said uh, and I argue that a company only needs one exit plan for its um, third-party um, providers right it needs one exit plan with information for every major um, sorry material supplier. It needs one exit plan that's based on your um, incident response function. It doesn't need to be a, something different because if you were to lose a major supplier, right, the first thing you'll see is it's an, it's an incident. The second thing you'll turn around and do is, is you've created your silver team. Your silver team will put a team of people together and you will deal with it and the first thing you'll do is go to contract, right, and you'll turn around and say, Right, I've got to bring it in house. I've got to find another supplier. Right, but the only one that you have to really concern with is a stressed exit, because if it's a non-stressed exit, it's down to contract. So focus on that. Focus on the and and you you can do a test exercise on it. And I'm very conscious that I'm running out of time, so I'm going to be as quick as possible. Again, my thoughts are on the slides that you can read. Oops. I'm not going to read these out, but these are my tips. These are, these are my tips for operational resilience. Hopefully you'll find them useful. Um, I'm not going to go through them. So I've got one minute and 28 seconds and Michael, will, uh, be hitting me with the proverbial stick, but hopefully the, the information that I've shared with you, um, there's a lot more, we can go into greater detail, but for a 20 minute session, I think that we've covered a, a very, very important topic in a very short period of time and michael i I, would, uh, I think we've got one more question that we wanted to ask uh,
0: actually i was thinking terry maybe we'll just ask that a little bit later after we've had a bit okay. of discussion All but right. thank you for reminding me i appreciate it and may i congratulate you on sticking absolutely promptly to time uh puts you well up in our favorite category uh, and i can tell from the number of questions i've got here from the audience you're also up in their favorite category uh, folks, uh, we do have quite a large audience out there, so please do get your questions in early if you'd like me to throw them into the conversation. Um, now, just to get things going, uh, Terry, one of the things that you and I spoke about uh, when we were having a look at this in advance was, uh, th- this is a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, three years, you know, testing every scenario. This is big firm stuff. I mean, it's really, it's what the sort of jokes that big firms go through running three-year mega projects. How true is that?
1: Um, I think organisa- organizations have, have created um, um, new functions to deal with this a lot, but, but a couple of years ago, there wasn't many of us who would actually turn around and say we're operational resilience professionals. I know, oh, sorry, that's me. Um, my organization that I have, we we have Loads of operational resilience professionals that didn't exist before. I think that organisations are looking at the fact that they they've, they've got to they've got to do this, and um, this is this is a um, must-have for the business. If you don't if you don't do it, you won't be in the thing. I think it needs some maturity to actually to, to go forward. I think it needs to be more accountable for how how can we make this. Um, more cost effective for business how can we um, work make it work for not only the large global organizations but also for the, the smaller niche financial institutions um, who don't have a, who, who have outsourced nearly everything like it, it's one of the beauties of digital transformation is is that you don't need a data center anymore you don't need a, a, a large IT group the downside to that is is that you don't necessarily know what to do if your IT is not there
0: yeah Terry i got got to it's interesting you you're, you've spoken today in, in many ways about the boundaries between uh, regulation and effectively the technical firms we've become mm-hmm. and what I find interesting in that of course is a funny way regulators are now regulating software development and deployment <laughs> which is something that is not really where they began I've got a few questions here along similar lines so let's start with Charlotte binstead Charlotte I think makes an excellent point here uh, well done Charlotte um, Do you think that tech complexity in financial services is an equal, if less sexy, threat to cyber attacks? Uh, What I like about it is I remember back in the 80s, I worked for a firm which had a mantra, which was simplify, then automate, then integrate. In other words, don't try and automate right away. Simplify the processes and procedures first. Um, Thoughts on that relationship between uh, complexity and threat and complexity in tech and finance?
1: Um, I agree with what you said just said Ben about you've got to simplify before you automate and integrate you've got to get and dealing dealing with the financial regulations you need to get it right for one IBS before you start the the beauty of technology the beauty is is that it makes things quicker and can be and less expensive to run because you don't need to have a number of people there um we, we actually create other jobs for them to do but it, it's it's not a manual process. The problem with that is, and it's why I said earlier about as we go through digital transformation, the flip side of that is is that you've got an increased threat surface, attack surface. Not only have you got that, is that you've got you. Know, whereas you could shut the door in your building and stop people coming in, you can't do that at, the, at five o'clock. You can't do that on the internet. The converse, the converse of that is is that. Um, when you do shut down the internet right when you shut down your your, your presence your competition is only one click away so mm-hmm. and, and it's proven from from, from from all business studies that I've, I've read that um your customer only has to go away once and have a good um experience and it's hard to get them to come back to you mm-hmm. so do we actually have a, a bigger attack surface yes do we need to be more um uh I can't, can't think of the word I'm saying. Do we have to be more protective of, of, of our, our systems and services? Yeah, because we don't know what the next attack is. We don't know who's going to attack us, right? It could be an inside job. It could. I, I, I was at a seminar recently where uh, apparently, uh, on the dark web, people being offered millions of dollars to go and join companies to be employees and just upload a piece of virus software in a, in, in a new company. And that's quite for a lot of people. That's quite an interesting um, proposition. So we don't know where those those things are going to come from. But technical complexity increases our threats surface. If we can't manage it, and monitor it. So if we can't monitor it, we can't manage it, and we can't protect it.
0: Uh, Hugh purser um, points here. You, you. You spoke about know your customer. Uh, versus know your customers digital footprint Um, now that's that's got a lot of interesting implications for you the first is you know you might characterize know your customers meet and greet (laughs) okay so they're live they're living it's all quite good but the digital footprint there's no need to meet Um, this is a big change in both the delivery of the service but I would argue also in uh, violating effectively regulatory uh, risk conventions. You know, h- how much effort do you need to do? But anyway, uh, your thoughts there. Do you see this as a big change in the delivery of the service, or is it more the regulator catching up with what we're doing already?
1: I, I think a lot of this is more the regulator trying to catch up with what's going on in in, in the marketplace. Um, and it, and it's it's like everything else that's happening with the old world that's going digital. The old days of bank managers. The bank manager knew you knew your but knew my father, knew me, knew the, knew all the people in the family, knew the village, was well known by everybody. Now nobody knows their bank manager, right? But you have more services which are 24/7. You know, you can get, you can pay for something, you can transfer things, you can you can authorize payments. Yeah, we've moved on. Doing does, does the the thing is now individually as consumers we may not know. The person who's selling to us anymore, right? Because we don't have a name to a face, but uh, the, the the companies that are supplying us know a hell of a lot more. I mean, they, they, they turn turn around and say Tesco's knows more about us as individuals than say um, the government knows. Mm. Yeah, so it's a swap, isn't it? Whereas before we knew we we knew who was provide providing the services to us. Now we don't know so much, but they know a lot more about us.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Um, you had a really interesting slide on impact tolerance, and I've got two questions related to that, um, uh, c- coming from Elizabeth who lives in East London. Uh, and the, the first question is, is just in a nutshell, a quick one, but you mentioned the operational resilience collaboration group. Um, could you just describe that quickly to the audience? And I, I do mean in a nutshell.
1: It's an organization that works with um, the, the PRA, I believe, and they published um, uh, articles on the internet. Um, and basically they, 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 they've created a lot of um, articles that you can actually go and get off the internet and use to help you. It's a body.
0: Okay, that was it. But in that slide, what you did speak about was um, intolerable harm. I found that interesting, intolerable harm, uh, it was an impact causing significant distress to the end investor. Now, many years ago, I uh, was uh, involved in trying to get some payments on some pre-war German bonds. And the German government decided to institute into law the idea that the bonds could be paid uh, out, but anybody claiming that they wanted payment had to produce evidence of hardship. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like a good thing at the time. Uh, now, of course, in 1946, you know, hardship was a poor widow with eight children clinging to her apron strings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, by the mid 60s, hardship was I can't afford my third Porsche. You know, <laughs> in other words, it's all in the eye of the beholder uh, there and, and relevant things. Uh, how much handle do you think the regulator has on what is distress um, to, to an end thing? investor?
1: The link to the document there uh, on the guidance for, for firms on fair treatment of vulnerable cu- customers actually um, helps. Uh, it indicates how firms should actually identify those individuals that are, are vulnerable. And the other thing is is that there, a lot of organisations by law now actually have to have a list of their vulnerable customers and identified them. So it shouldn't be that difficult to understand that. But from a financial point of view, if you're dealing with as I I use the example with people that you're paying 50 pound a week to in their pension you're paying them 50 pound a week for a pensioner that means a lot of money for most pensioners difference between turning especially now turning your lights on or feeding or, or, or something of that nature but the people that you and I right when we go out and we spend 50 quid on a lunch or something like that if we were to get 50 quid this week it wouldn't make that much difference to us All right so you actually have to when you start looking at the regulations and i think that's one of the things that the regulator is starting to do it's actually going actually look prove to me that you've looked at your vulnerable customers that you've identified them and that you've not looked at it from the point of view of well it's only 50 quid
0: okay um, got a couple of questions here from Bob McDowell of, a, of an interesting nature. And by the way, folks, uh, if you look in the chat bar, you'll see that Brett McGowan has very kindly dug out a link for us to uh, the operational resilience uh, collaboration group, which you can click on as well. So thank you very much, Brett. Um, so Bob's curious here. Um, uh, firstly, uh, Terry, do you think that enterprises should place a greater emphasis on pausing their digital development? by more focused stage testing. You know, are we rushing too much? Are we in too much of continuous development to actually stop? I mean, and, and to be fair, you know, if you've got a three-year program, surely you could build in very rigorous stage gates.
1: I, I don't think anything should pause or stop. I think we can take a very agile approach with this, right? We've got the businesses it's running at the moment. We know that we, we, we can, we can continue with the existing business, we can identify your, your IBSs, we can identify the service value chain from that and then you can actually do proportional improvements because you're not going to do it overnight in an agile way. It's better to do it in small steps than that because if you as I mentioned earlier if you do it in a, in a waterfall approach by the time you've actually made the change it's too late. So actually identifying bite-sized chunks that you can make improvements because the regulator, if, if my view in conversations, the regulator is going to turn around and say, as long as you can see improvement, that's good. It's where you're actually not making improvement. Hmm. Right. If, if you, and if you take too long, if you pause it, you know how fast business works today. Somebody else will come along. Right. As I said, you know, it's no longer the big eats the small, it's the fast eats the slow. So should you pause it? No. Well,
0: funny enough, um, I think Bob is uh, <laughs> pressuring this a wee bit. Uh, it's a good comment, and to be fair to Bob, he had this at uh, 20 past, not just now. He, he continues with, do you think the technology providers are placing too much pressure on enterprises to accelerate their digital development? So kind of the contrary, I know, you know, the swift don't get eaten but the swift also trip and fall over and skin their knees very badly
1: yeah um well we, we, we've all lived through the dot-com boom which was quite a lot of uh, tripping up of um of, of financial models should i say and, and business opportunities yeah I, I think there is always going to be a drive for the next thing i mean the next thing at the moment is that word operational resilience if you look in the job market at the moment, there's business continuity and job, uh, operational resilience, professional jobs going left, right, and centre. Right? It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the buzzword at the moment. Techno- I think technology companies need to start actually offering solutions to the problem that's existing and not creating new problems and ignoring, ignoring the things they have to deliver. Okay. Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, I think it does very well. It's it's that classic tension. It's a bit of one and a bit of the other, and you have kind of find yeah. the sweet spot in the middle, which is fair yeah, enough. We
1: can't stop. We can't stop commerce.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, just before we move on to some other questions, I will ask that poll, folks. You've had a handle from Terry of 20 minutes, and uh, you've really uh, you've you've heard it there. So, having listened to Terry, you know, do you feel that yourself or your company, or I, I know there are a few consultants out there, perhaps answer uh, in your own mind on how you feel about your clients? Uh, do you feel yourself that you must do much more on operational resilience a bit more, much the same or absolutely nothing extra? Um, and again, as ever Terry, a, a very, uh, quick to make up their minds, fast information absorbing audiences, well over the 50% mark already. I'll give it just a few more seconds before I close it down. Yeah. Uh, ooh, well, some interesting results coming up here. I'll just flash the screen and, uh, oops. There we go, and you can see. Um, wow, uh, you seem to have convinced uh, uh, some <laughs> some eighty one percent of the audience. They've got more to do, uh, and twenty two percent much more. Um, so it's a salutary reminder there. So thank you very much for that, Terry. Now we've got a couple more questions I'd like to ask. If that's all right, uh, before we have to wind up, and uh, just uh, one of the things that we're, we're finding here is uh, is a question uh, com- coming in. Really, are there any tools in the market to test and stress test the business processes? Um, so any anything you can see uh, in that regard?
1: Um, I think there are tools that potentially could help um, set a framework up for um, identification and stress testing. But there are... Um, it's more about actually making sure that you design the tool, the, the base tool to deliver for your business model, right? Not, not every business model is exactly the same. Different departments, different ways of delivering, different product sets. So, is there, is there, is there a, is there a tool that would? I think it's a. I can name it. I'm not going. I'm not going to go and name products, but there's a couple out there that um, will help you, but. You need to design it around your business. You need to design okay. it first before implementing it.
0: Well, that question was from, my apologies, uh, from Avishak Bimal. So apologies, Avishak, and thanks for the question. So again, on tools, do you use any tools?
1: Yeah, uh, Excel, <laughs> PowerPoint, okay. no, yeah, um, right, yes. Then.
0: So, okay, so yeah, yeah, roll your sleeves up and just get the job done. There's no magic software solution out there for you anyway. Um, I, I,
1: I think you can automate it. You, you can automate a lot of it. Uh, and there are some good workflow tools out there. Um, but we are in the middle of developing a, um, a solution on a, um, a SaaS platform at the moment.
0: Okay. Um, and I think possibly our final question and a, another good one, this is from Bruno Azina. Uh, Bruno's asking, you know, that the hyperscalers, which we're talking about, so we're talking about the outsourcing and cloud earlier. So AWS, Amazon Web Services, Azure, Google, now they all come in with a promise of simpler uh, resilience and almost all the challenges have been worked out from an infrastructure perspective. How true do you think this is or how true have you found this in practice?
1: Okay, so let's let, let let's put this all into one cloud providers because there are so many different options and service providers and subservice providers. Yes, they all are offering. Uh, all the major ones are offering five nines. They're offering multi-region, multi-country, multi region, multi country, multi that's great. Right. Um, but they've all had outages um, there was a large organization that had a major outage, which was caused by a BGP, um, change that they did themselves, which basically deleted themselves off the internet. And, um, that organization not only deleted itself but it also, because they are used for um, access to systems and access to their own buildings and their own computers, actually locked themselves out of their own buildings and their own computers, and they were out for about eight hours, right? So, and and what cloud providers do is, is they turn around and say, we've got five nines. They won't tell you what their recovery time objective is if they do have a major outage, because I've been trying to find that out, and i use all the major vendors um, if they're out they'll give you service credits but what's the point of service credits
0: yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. a good
1: point. You, if you if you miss your if you miss your 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 um, your impact tolerance that you published to the regulator the regulator doesn't care whether you use a, 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 a supplier a or supplier b right it's interesting He it doesn't care whether you're using computers or a thousand people sat in the fence
0: it's happened yeah
1: yeah and just
0: a quick question if I may uh, this is this also from Abhishek my i it's a squeezing in. if you can do it in 20 seconds but you've got here the scenarios right and then you've got the stress tests and the factors how helpful have you found the FCA to give guidelines on for example what factors need to be stressed
1: there, there is um, a whole wealth of information out there as to as to stress testing
0: good well look uh, Terry it's been absolutely super to have you on because what I like is that from the Coalface stuff the answer is that now don't get seduced there are no tools be careful on the uh, on the, uh, the hyperscalers not that they're doing the bad thing but you know where you are um, I think you said at one point uh, operational resilience is business continuity on steroids and I'm certainly going to remember that uh, there was another thing I, I think, you know, that we spoke about, what I took away from this uh, was very much the idea that we we were focusing in the past really on, you know, business continuity and the disaster sense, but now the, the focus really big push from the regulator is on a no distress delivery to the, and then the orders shifted to, as we spoke about earlier, the citizen and as a citizen being taken, then the citizen is a consumer uh, and then the markets themselves. And then, oh, by the way, if the firm has survived, that's a good thing, too. Mm -hmm. So I I think we're seeing an interesting shift here. And I think I've picked up from the questions here in the audience that we're seeing a financial regulatory system that's moving into somehow trying to be an IT software development, security, quality assurance, delivery standard. It's a really interesting change, and I'm glad that you put your finger on it.
1: Yeah, um, and the regulators at the moment, the regulations are descriptive rather than prescriptive, but they will become prescriptive as they get more more education from the the market. So it will get it will get tighter.
0: Good. Well, I've got three quick rounds of thanks, if I may. Uh, firstly, uh, may I thank our sponsors again? Absolutely delightful that you allow us to range widely and freely. But this is clearly a topic many of you have a deep interest in. Uh, my thanks to the audience, as ever, you've been superb. It's really nice to get these questions here and see what you what, where you want, uh, Terry and others, to take the conversation. But, uh, and you can see the forthcoming events, as ever, just go to the website, I won't read them out. But may I say, Terry, um, our real thanks are to you. Uh, my stress test is uh, the, the challenge of trying to figure out how to give uh, many of our guests a decent round of applause. So I have here a Korean karmic clapper, as I call it, And this will have to do, I'm afraid, as a substitute for opening the floodgates, but uh, I'll be passing on uh, many thanks uh, to you uh, from the audience themselves as they've been typing them in here. And really appreciate your insights as somebody out there uh, really getting the job done. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you very, very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.